And Lord, we, we come to you asking for new hearts, new lives, new motives, new purposes, a new understanding, a deeper understanding of who you are and who you want us to become. Lord, we pray during these next moments that you will speak through us, that these people would not see us, but only you. Hide us behind your cross. In your name, amen. amen. So we've been talking about consecration for the last three mornings. Because really, if our lives are not consecrated to Christ, we cannot stand. And so it ties directly into our theme because consecration, Christ in us, enables us to stand valiantly. So now this morning, we're going to talk about standing. We're going to talk about what it is to stand in the strength of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at some examples from Scripture and just explore this together. So we pray that it will be a blessing. Um, I hope you brought your Bibles. We want to start by going to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. And we're going to read, uh, Jent and I are going to read verses 10 through 18. And please follow along with us. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Okay, so it reads, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And now we look at the specifics. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That is a powerful passage, isn't it? It's, it's loaded. What we want to do this morning is break it down a little bit and, and look at what... It's specifically talking about when it says, put on truth, put on righteousness, what does that represent? Uh, so let's start with truth. Um, turn with me to John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So what is truth? It is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is truth. And now let's take a look at righteousness. It says, um, and having the breastplate of righteousness. 
So I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto, raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Mm-hmm. So God is, Jesus Christ is truth, but he is our righteousness too. And we'll find um, in Isaiah 9, 6, we'll find peace. Isaiah 9, 6. Okay, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And Ephesians 2.14 says, for he is our peace. So again, we see God is peace, and he says to put peace on. All right, let's take a look at faith. Uh, 1 John 5, verse 4. 1 John 5, 4, and then I'll have you go to another text here. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Okay, so keep that in mind, and then turn to John sixteen thirty three. John 16.33. Okay. It says... These things I have spoken unto you, that in, you, in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So, in other words, um, in other words, it, it's saying whatever is born of God overcometh the world. That is Jesus. Jesus is the overcomer. And, and um, then, then John says that, that be of good cheer, because he's overcome the world um, because of our faith. And next we read salvation. Um, We'll find that in Psalm, chapter 27, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's our salvation. Okay, and then last we look at the word. 
Oh, the sword? Yeah, sorry, my text is the sword, right? That is the word. Oh, the word. <laughs> this, te this text is like orange, and I'm having trouble seeing it for some reason. So <laughs> bear with me here. Um, so why don't we turn to John 1, verse 1. I think we all know what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, it's Jesus again. So we see that these things, it, you know, the truth is Jesus, the righteousness is Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the faith is Jesus, the salvation is Jesus. And it's reinforced over and over and over and over to the point where we can't miss it. It's Jesus that we need to be putting on. Amen. There's a quote in The Upward Look, number uh, page 335. It says, The gospel armor seems too weighty to be borne, while Jesus Christ is your armor. Hide in him, and the wicked one will not harass or confuse your faith. The Upward Look, um, page 335. Jesus is our armor. Um, he, he's really the only one that can make us able to stand, not only against Satan, but also before God. And so we want to we talk about that a little bit more. So, what's the armor? Jesus, very good. And so what I want to talk about for a couple minutes is what... If Jesus is the armor, we're told to put on the armor of God, right? So if Jesus is the armor, what do we need to do? We need to put him on. So um, let's turn to Romans 13. And I know we've already been here this week, but I want to turn there once more. Romans 13, verse 12. Okay, it says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. And then verse 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So the beginning of verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do, isn't it? So we, are, we know we're all engaged in this unseen battle, right? In Ephesians 6, we've been talking about this all week. The battle um, described there. And in Ephesians 6, it says we fight not against flesh and blood. And that's true. But in a sense, we do fight against flesh and blood simply because our greatest battle is the surrender of self. And if we think about it, in essence, really that's our only battle. If we can surrender ourselves completely to God, the battle is his, and he's the one who's really going to fight it ultimately. But that is our battle, is to surrender and to put him on every day, to pray, to do all these, all these things, um, just in staying connected with God. So if you think about, if you picture in your mind with me just for a moment, um, a soldier that's going to go out to war. If, if there's a soldier that's, that's going to go to war, what's he going to do? He's going to get dressed up for it, right? He's going to put on the armor. He's going to put on that which is going to protect him in the battle. So he puts on his armor and he goes out to war. Now, what would happen 
And what would you think if in the middle of the heat of the battle, he's on the front lines fighting, and suddenly he decides, well, I think I'll just take this off just for a few minutes for whatever reason, and the reason doesn't even matter. And so he does. What would you think of that? Would that be a very wise choice? It wouldn't. But if you think about it, how often do we do that? We maybe put Christ on, but do we keep him on? Because the keeping on part is just as important as the putting on part. But how often do we go through our day? We start, okay, so we start out our day with God. We put him on, we, and that's wonderful. That's, that's where it starts. That's where it has to start. But then we're going through our day. Do we ever, and I know we've all done it, do we ever, um, in, in the moment of whatever we're going through, decide, or it, it may not even be a conscious choice, but do we, do we lay it aside even for a moment, thinking that we can do it on our own or that we have the better way figured out? So I think it's so important as we're talking about putting on the armor of God that we, that we think about not just putting it on, but keeping it on all the time. Because this battle that, that we're fighting in, it's it's a constant battle every moment of every day. We're, we're part of this battle. And, and so we are never safe, even for a moment, to lay aside our armor. Because the, the armor of God is what will make us able to stand in that battle. So um, let's today put him on and keep him on every moment so that we can stand with stand strong for him, no matter what we might be going through. So I want to tell you guys a little story here. And you've all heard it before, but we want to look at it in the context of standing. It's a story from the Bible way back a long time ago, thousands of years ago. And it's about Nebuchadnezzar. He had this dream of this statue, right? This big statue with the head of gold and all that stuff. And Daniel interpreted the dream for him. Well, just um, so after Dan, no, none of his other wise men could interpret the dream for him. But Daniel could, and it was because of Daniel's God. And Daniel made that very, very clear. Um, so after, after Daniel had done that, the king said, your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal the secret. So in other words, he's acknowledging God. But then selfishness creeps back in as time goes on. And, and he gets this idea to build a 90-foot nine-foot-wide stature out of pure gold that would represent him. Because the dream, in the dream, just the head was gold. And Daniel told him, you are the head, O king. He liked that thought. But then he thought, well, why not be the whole body? I want to be everything, you know. So he made this huge statue, statue of gold. And then he invited all the or he called all the important people in his, in his provinces from, from all over the world, the, the then known world. And, you know, these were, these were like 
today's senators and House of Representatives, you know, Secretary of State, governors, you know, all the important people he called. So they all gathered together on the Plain of Dura around this statue. And then the, the herald was loudly proclaimed that as soon as you hear the music, you must bow down and worship this image. In other words, you must worship the king. So the music began to play, and everybody just went down like a wave. It was just like boom, and everybody was down. So the king was sitting there, you know, just in the height of his glory. Just his pride was through the roof, you know. He was like, this is so great. And then a few of his astrologers came along, and they were like, well, king, live forever, you know. We don't want to interrupt you or anything, but but didn't you say that when the music plays, everybody has to bow down, and if they don't, they're going to be thrown into a fire furnace? And, and he was like, yeah, you know. And, and so they, were, they said, well, there's a few men that have really high positions in your kingdom, and they're not bowing down. They refuse to serve your gods, and they are refusing to worship and bow down to your image. And... So he ordered them to come before him. So they came. And he said, What? Did you, didn't you guys hear my command that when the music plays, you must bow down? And then he said, Okay, I'm going to give you another chance. This time, you, when you hear the music, you must bow down, or else I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And they said, Okay, we're not going to defend ourselves. I like that. They, they weren't going to defend themselves. They, they just told him that. They said, we're not going to defend ourselves. Our God is able to deliver us. But they said, well, first they said, we will not serve your gods, and we will not bow down to your image. And they said, our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. And so, well, let me just back up. I forgot to mention that, that Nebuchadnezzar, right before they, they responded, he said, you know, that if they wouldn't, that he would throw them in the, in the furnace. And he said, and no God will be able to rescue you from my power. So he's defying the God of heaven. And so then they respond in this way. And, and, and then the Bible says that he became enraged. And and his face became distorted with anger. And, and he didn't even respond to the three Hebrews. He just gave the command to heat the furnace seven times hotter. Which is really, I mean, when you think about it, if they were going to die, it would make their death a lot better because they just die a lot quicker, you know. And, but, however, it even heightened God's glory even more because the furnace was heated seven times hotter. And so he ordered a few of his most valiant men in, in his army to come and bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they bound them, and then they threw them into the furnace. And as they did that, the, the, his warriors, his, his guys, died from the heat. They didn't even get all that close, but they died from the heat. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego it says that they literally fell into the furnace. So, you know, they, they threw them in there, and I imagine, you know, they just boom in the coals. And, <laughs> and so they're laying in there. Well, 
then the Bible doesn't specifically tell us this. But we do know that Jesus came. And I imagine that, that, that Jesus came and helped them stand. He, he might have even been the one that, that untied the, the ropes, you know. But because the Bible says that, that they fell into the, into the furnace, and then Nebuchadnezzar suddenly, a little bit later, became all pale when he looked in there. And he was like, whoa, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three guys in there? And there's four. And he said, and the fourth appears to be none other than the Son of God. How did he know that? Isn't that amazing? So they're walking in there, and they're communing with God because he is the one that makes them able to stand in the most difficult trials. And so then, of course, you know the story. Nebuchadnezzar calls them out, and they, and they walk out unharmed. They don't even smell like smoke. And then Nebuchadnezzar said praise to the god of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he, go on, he went on to say that um, he, he made a new law, that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything offensive against the god of the three Hebrews shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses shall be demolished to rubble, as long as there is no other god that is able to deliver in this way. It's amazing. He takes a radical turn from being the one that actually says offensive things about the God of the three Hebrews. And then he goes completely to the other side and says, well, wait a minute. If anybody says this kind of stuff, they're going to be killed. And so then, of course, the story finishes that after that, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and made sure that they prospered in his kingdom. Wow. What, what an amazing story. I love that story. And, you know, at this conference, we've been exploring what it means to be able to stand, as that has been our theme. And the three young men in the story did that. They stood. So over the next several minutes, we want to talk about three specific lessons that we can learn from this story. And these are things that we really need to know by heart if we, if we expect to stand like the three Hebrews did. So I'm going to start with the first lesson that we can pick up from this story, and that is that they stood in the midst of the flames. Now, if you think about that, it's, it's quite amazing. I mean, we know this. We've read this story over and over. But when you think about it, it's so amazing to think that God delivered them from the flames by helping them to stand in the flames. So if we apply that to our lives, we all have trials. We all have challenging situations. We all have temptations. These are things common to humanity. We all experience these. And oftentimes, I think when we go through these things that are not easy to go through, um, I think it's easy to wonder, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why doesn't, why doesn't he just take this away? 
You know, have you ever wondered that? <laughs> Why doesn't God just take this away? Life would be so much easier if I didn't have to go through this. But sometimes, as we see in the story, standing means standing in the midst of the flames. And sometimes, as God delivers us from the flames, he still delivers us, but sometimes it's standing in them that deliverance comes to us. So we have to remember that sometimes God can make an Im a bigger impact through our lives as we stand in the flames. So it's a good thing, even when it's hard sometimes, but the reality is, is that God is able to deliver us. As, as the three Hebrews, Hebrews stated, God is able to deliver us, and he always does. He always delivers us. But sometimes it's in ways a little different than we expect. But nonetheless, it's still deliverance. So God, God always knows what's best, and sometimes he knows that going through the hard things will make us shine more brightly. We're told that we're, we're supposed to shine as stars in Jesus' crown. And also in Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your light shine. We're supposed to shine. And sometimes it's these, these hard things in life, the trials, the temptations, these things that actually make us shine more brightly. So we need to be thankful for them, even then. John 17, 15. Let's turn there really quickly. John 17, 15. says this, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from evil. So God doesn't take us out of the world. He doesn't remove everything that's difficult from our pathway. Instead, he gives us the strength to stand through those things. And... Um, so even when, even when God doesn't remove us, and sometimes he does, I mean, you hear these miraculous stories of people like with cancer or something, and they're, they're miraculously healed. God does do that. But even when he doesn't remove us from the situation, he, it's because he has a greater purpose in mind. So we have to remember that. Now, I want to um, tell you about uh, someone. Have, have any of you heard of Nick Vujicic? Anyone, a few of you, okay. Well, he has an amazing story, and I'm just going to tell you just briefly, um, just to, as an illustration. But he is, is someone that was born without arms or legs, and he's a completely normal person, other than he just doesn't have any limbs. And um, as I was reading more about him, I was, I was quite amazed at how he's handled that, because that's definitely a challenge in life, isn't it? And that's not something that's going to go away. I mean, that's his lifelong challenge is to deal with this. And um, I was reading that, you know, at age eight, I believe, he, he wanted to commit suicide. I think he even attempted it, but it was unsuccessful because he, he wondered, why, why did God let this happen to me? Why am I the one that was born without arms and legs? And, and so that was really a struggle for him. And, you know, he had to learn how to do everything in life without what the rest of us have. And, you know, so even just the simple things of brushing your teeth and combing your hair and getting a drink, you know, these are things we don't even think about. But those are things he had to, he had to learn how to even be able to do that 
the, without arms or legs. So, um, and he has an, an amazing story, and I don't want to get into it right now uh, for the sake of time, but um, he's done amazing things with his life, and God has really used him in a powerful way. He's got, um, he's the president of a nonprofit organization called Life Without Limbs, and he goes all over um, speaking as a motivational speaker and sharing what God has done in his life and, and his story, and, and has made a, a wonderful impact for God. And um, someone, in retrospect, asked him how, you know, how his life would be different if he would have been born normal, and how different his viewpoint would be. And in response to that, this was his response, and I think it's, it's just amazing. Um, he said, I try not to speculate, speculate about that. God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, the life I now live is what has been given to me by his design. What I do with this life that has been given to me is what ultimately matters. I am humbled by the fact that my life is most likely making a bigger impact because I don't have arms and legs than if I did. And I think a lot of times that's why God allows us to go through these trials and these things is because he knows that he, he can use us in a more powerful way if we do go through that because it affects who we are, and, and it can even make us more relatable with those who have been through similar things. So the victory is gained when we realize we can't do this on our own, right? And when we remember that God never allows us to go through anything without having all the details figured out ahead of time. He knows exactly how it's going to work, and he knows exactly what he's going to allow to come upon us, and, and he knows exactly what we can handle. That's the amazing part. And in John chapter 9, there's a story of the man that was born blind. I love that story. And it's so, it's just, it's beautiful to think, you know, this is, this is the story where, so the man is blind, and the disciples are asking Jesus, so who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? And I love Jesus' response to their question. It's, um, he says, in essence, this isn't, isn't word for word, but Jesus tells the disciples that this man blind, man's blindness is so that the glory of God can be revealed in his life. And that, I think, is the reason we all go through these things, is so that the glory of God can be revealed in our lives. So if we remember that when, when we're in the middle of these, these circumstances... It gives us a perspective of how God can even use those things, even though they may be tough. God can still use those to reveal his glory. And that, is, that should be our ultimate desire, is to glorify God in everything. So, to recap our first point, we, God sometimes delivers us from the flames by helping us to stand in them. As the three Hebrews, they stood in the midst of the flames. And the, what we want to take home from this is that God may not remove us from the flames, but he gives us grace to stand in them nonetheless. So um, he gives us grace to walk through them and to come out on the other side shining more brightly for him and with a greater capacity to impact the lives of those around us. So lesson number two, 
Uh, let's go back to the story just a moment. Um, when we see in the three Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they're responding to the angry king, he's saying, why didn't you bow down? And in verse 17 and 18, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So we see that they're saying, our God, whom we serve. We see in that is it's key that um, they're taking a humble position before God. They're saying, we serve him, and then they're, they're going on to say what he's able to do, exalting him before the king. Um, they saw no greatness in themselves, and they didn't depend on themselves. So our second point um, is that those who stand tall in the face of temptation are the ones who have bowed low in consecration. Those who have bowed low. You know, it's... <clears throat> We see in their, in their courage uh, before the king that really it shows us that these men spent their lives in the throne room of the king of kings and lord of lords. Mm-hmm. Bowing low before him in consecration, in humility, in service. And this is why they could stand before the earthly king and say, we will not serve your God or worship the golden image. They had learned to bow low. And so in the moment of overwhelming temptation, they stood tall. They saw no greatness in themselves. They only fixed their eyes on the greatness and power of God and his deliverance. You see, humility and praise are a pair of characteristics that together indicate moral strength, humility and praise. The Bible is full of self-humbling and doxology, men bowing down before God and yet simultaneously praising God. They go together. Um, You know, we, we see that in Psalms again and again. And Paul, in his letters, he he both articulates humility and breaks into doxology. I want to look at a few examples, three examples, actually. Um, In 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says, I am the least, the least of the apostles. Complete humility. But then I want you to look in the next, the very next verse. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he's the least, but he's saying, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Humility and then praise. And then go further later in his letters, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. This is so exciting to me to see this, how he demonstrates uh, this for us to learn. He says in Ephesians 3, 8, I am the very least of all the saints. Last time it was, I am the least. Now he's, I am the very least of all the saints. Ephesians 3, 8. But then in the same chapter a little bit later, Ephesians 3, 20, you know the verse, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So he's nothing, but he's just directing everything at God who is so amazingly above and beyond us. And then continue in his letters. Now let's move to 1 Peter. I mean, 1 Timothy, excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
verse 15. This gets really serious, guys. He's the least of the apostles. He's the very least of all the saints. Now, he says, I am the foremost of sinners, the chief of sinners. He sees nothing in himself. As the years pass, he thinks less and less and less of himself. And we see that as his self-esteem sinks, his rapture of praise and adoration to God raises. Isn't that powerful? After Paul wrote one of the most humbling confessions we'll find in Scripture, I am the chief of sinners, we see that he wrote Two verses later, uh, in 1 Timothy 1.17, he wrote one of the most powerful verses of praise to God. I love this verse. 1 Timothy 1.17, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's just said, I'm the chief of sinners, and now he says, the amazing God. Eternal, immortal, invisible, be honor and glory forever and ever. This is the God we serve. And if we can learn to just bow our lives down low, to let go of ourselves, the lower, the lower we will place ourselves, the higher he can be exalted in our lives, and the stronger we'll be to stand. Someone once said, a quote here, they that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. <laughs> I like that. It's so true. So, our second point. Those who stand tall in the face of temptation are the ones who have bowed low before the King of Kings. Their lives are characterized by humility and praise. Okay, so our third point of how the Hebrews stood. How did they stand? They knew someone worth standing for, and he stood with them. They knew someone worth standing for, and he stood with them. They stood because they were in his presence. They were in the presence of as Jude 24 puts it, the one who is able to keep us from falling. They stood because they were with him. And like Jen mentioned in the story, Daniel 3, verse 23, it's saying that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the furnace, they fell down bound. And then a couple verses later, they're on their feet next to the Son of God. So can you picture it? Can you picture Jesus taking their hands and helping them stand? They stood only because he was able to keep them from falling. And we can stand only because he is able to keep us from falling. Um, Romans chapter 14 and verse 4, let's look at it together. The last part especially... Okay, Romans 14, 4, and um, let's look at just the second half. It says, Yea, he shall be holden up, for God 
is able to make him stand. Okay, so we're held up because God is able to make us stand. That's the only way we can stand. And it sounds simple. It sounds obvious. We, can't, we can only stand because he can help us stand. But really, it's fundamental. We can't do anything until we realize that we can't do anything. We can't do anything until we realize that we can't do anything. So yes, it's obvious, but it's the bottom line for us. I want to illustrate this with a story. A story about, it happened many years ago, a pastor who spoke at a church one morning, and he spoke long at the church, so long that he almost missed his train ride back home. And just as he was getting ready to board his plane, I mean, plane, train, sorry, this happened a long time ago, right? <laughs> okay, so just as he was getting to the station, he turned around and he noticed that a young man had followed him. And this troubled young man had been in the church that morning, and here he was now, and his mind was just bursting with questions, and he was wondering how he could have spiritual power in his life, how how he could overcome the habits in his life. And so he asked the pastor very simply, in one sentence, how can a fellow like me stand straight? And the pastor is here by the train, and the whistle blew, and he's needing to get on. And, and so he jumped on board and opened the window to, to finish talking with this young man. And he knew he only had a short moment to answer his question. And so the pastor pulled out a yellow pencil from his pocket, and he laid it on the palm of his hand. And he said to the young man, can this pencil stand upright in my hand? And of course he shook his head and said, no, it can't do that. And then the pastor took the pencil and he held it upright in his hand. And he asked, now, now can the pencil stand upright? And the young man said, oh, but you're holding it now. Sure it can stand, you're holding it. And the pastor said, yes, I am. But listen, your life is like this pencil. It is completely helpless. But Jesus is the hand that can hold you up. Mm-hmm. And as the train pulled away, the young man could still see the pastor's arm out the window and the pastor still holding the pencil in his hand. And it changed his life. The young man realized it made sense. God is the one who can help me stand. And actually, 25 years later, that young man happened to meet the pastor in India. They were doing mission work there. And he met him again, and he hadn't seen him since. And he told the pastor, he said, that moment changed my life. And from that moment on, when I saw you and your pencil, I decided to trust the hand of Jesus. And he has kept me from falling ever since I've stayed in his hands. And so I wonder this morning, do we, do we see it too? that we can't stand on our own? And do we really believe that God is able to make us stand? 
Do we live held by the hand of Jesus? That's the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand. They stood because they were in the presence of Jesus. They were being held by him. So just to do a quick recap here, because this is vital. I mean, this is, this is important to, to our thriving. In order for us to stand, we, we, have, to, we have to know what, what Christ is, is able to do and, and to trust him. So first off, we looked at the armor of God, and we saw that everything there is Jesus that we must put Jesus on and take him with us. We must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then we, we took a look at, um, we took a look, what is that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, sorry, I blanked out. We took a look at keeping him on, not just putting him on, but keeping him on, which is vital. Because we can put him on right now. But what about when we go back home and everything starts bombarding us just like it always has? What are we going to do? Are we going to choose to keep him on or are we going to lay him aside in the, in the heat of the battle? We need to remember that. And so then we looked at, at the story of the three Hebrews and how they stood and the first point was that God delivered them from the flames by helping them stand in the flames. God delivered them from the flames by helping them stand in the flames. It's, it's important. And, and Talia illustrated that by the story of Nick Vujicic, how he's made his life a powerful impact for the good, uh, how he's, choos- he's chosen to overcome his, his, his trials and make something beautiful out of something that is broken. It's the same with us. So then we looked at the second lesson, the second point, how Tylee said that those who stand tall in the face of temptation are the ones who have bowed low in consecration. That's really great how when we're humble, God is honored most. And then last, we looked at, we looked at how Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were able to stand because they were in the presence of the one who is able to keep us, or to keep them from falling. We need to do that too. And that kind of goes along with the keeping the armor on. It's a continual thing. We need to stand in the presence and stay in the presence. Will you join us in a closing word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your righteousness, your truth, your faith, your love. And Lord, we want to put you on, and we want to keep you on. 
but we need help. That's our battle. Lord, that is our battle, is to choose to, to put you on and to keep you on when we're tempted to think that we can do things ourselves. Oh, Lord, we need to have a right view of who we truly are, of how we are nothing and how we can't do anything and how you are everything and, and you are capable of doing everything. You do the impossible in our lives. Oh, Lord, we want to we be strong. Strengthen us for the time of trials so that as greater trials come, we are prepared by smaller trials, standing strong in, in smaller trials. Make us like the three Hebrews who had spent time in your throne, throne room to the point where the earthly throne room didn't, didn't scare them, didn't even faze them. They were strong in you, strong in your presence. Lord, we want that in our lives. We want your presence in our lives. Oh, Lord, help us to, to seek you and search for you with all our hearts. And then we ask ahead of time now, as we face trials, that you will help us to stand in the trials so that we can come forth from the trials unharmed, even stronger in you. And then, Lord, we ask that we would bow our lives in humble consecration to you. It's totally against the world's paradigm, but humility is the greatest strength. Yes. And Lord, we just need you in our lives. We need you so bad, so bad. And Lord, help us to stand in the trials. Teach us to trust you and to have faith, unwavering faith, that even if you don't deliver us from the trials, we will still stand strong. Lord, come into our lives today. We invite you. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. In your name, amen. amen. amen.